Hello, welcome to your Decorum Talking newspaper for the week ending Saturday the 5th of March 2022. This is Team 3. Our editor is Ailing, and the technician for today is Mike. I'm Janet and our other readers are Alan, Amanda and Brian. Our items are taken from the local Gazette and Express and all telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442 unless stated otherwise. The headline for this week is Murdered by a Killer on the Run. Here's this week's news. Hello, I'm Alan. A convicted killer who is on the run from Polish authorities has been sentenced to life in prison for the murder of a retired police officer from Tring. Sylvester Krajewski, 50, was convicted of murdering 63-year-old canal worker Clive Porter, who was known for his gentle demeanour and love of the outdoors. A jury had found him guilty at Reading Crown Court earlier this week, and he was today sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 35 years. Krajewski is a convicted murderer who in 1992 killed a husband and wife in the Torun district of Poland. He was sentenced to 25 years imprisonment, but absconded in 2005 and has been on the run ever since. On 26th April 2021, Mr Porter issued a ticket to an unlicensed boat moored on the Aylesbury arm of the Grand Union Canal, near the boat on which Krajewski was living. Krajewski photographed Mr Porter doing this before approaching him. Despite Mr Porter remaining calm, Krajewski attacked and killed him. Police found Mr Porter's body in a water-filled ditch with his bicycle thrown on top of him. A post-mortem identified injuries, indicating that he'd been struck several times in the face. The pathologist concluded that applied neck pressure, drowning or a combination of both, were the only identifiable explanations for Mr Porter's death. And since he was wearing his life jacket designed to keep his head above water, the Crown Prosecution Service made the case that Krajewski forcibly held his head underwater. Krajewski repeatedly denied killing Clive Porter, instead claiming to have defended Mr Porter against two other attackers. More than once, Krajewski said he should get a prize or a medal from the Queen for his supposed heroic behaviour. However, multiple eyewitnesses only saw the two men, Krajewski and Porter. None saw another attacker. Alongside these eyewitness accounts, the Crown Prosecution Service presented forensic evidence to prove that Krajewski was the sole person responsible for Mr Porter's death. A jacket and blood-stained rag found on Krajewski's boat had both his and his victim's DNA on them, and Krajewski's blood was also found on Mr Porter's life jacket and bike. Hello, I'm Amanda. At the time of his arrest, Krajewski claimed his name was Daniel Wisniewski, Police found an ID and passport under this name 
as well as several other falsified ID documents under various names. However, police discovered Krajewski's true identity after taking his fingerprints and found that he was already wanted by Polish authorities. Senior investigating officer, Detective Chief Inspector Andy Shearwood of Thames Valley Police Majors Crimes Unit said, This was an unprovoked and violent attack on Clive who was going about his daily work. He could not have known who he would be confronted by that day and the level of violence he would be subjected to, leading to his death. Throughout our investigation, Krajewski has shown no remorse for his actions and attempted to evade police by fleeing the scene of the attack, hiding and giving false details in custody. He never changed his position on his identity throughout the trial and subsequent legal proceedings. I am pleased that the jury have found him guilty, and although this will never bring Clive back, I hope his family can find some justice from this. Crown Prosecution Service lawyer Rachel Lomas said, Clive Porter was a quiet, non-confrontational man who was killed simply for doing his job. It was an utterly pointless and unprovoked assault by a man who refused to admit to his crimes. Sylvester Krajewski lied about his identity. He lied about the events on the day Clive Porter died and he tried to blame witnesses for framing him. He is a liar and a fraud and the jury was able to be sure that he committed this terrible crime. Even though nothing can relieve the tragic loss they have suffered, I hope today's sentence brings some semblance of justice to Clive Porter's family and friends. Hello, I'm Brian. A donation by Hemel Rotary has enabled a charity to plant three trees as part of the Queen's Green Canopy Initiative. The Boxmore Trust, a charity that manages nearly 500 acres of woodland, recreational areas and meadows, has planted the trees on Heath Park in the town. Trustee Peter Phillips said, We are most grateful to Hemel Rotary for its very generous donation. We have planted and nurtured three Crimson Spire Oaks in Heath Park, a prominent location where they can be enjoyed by everyone. The planting of trees on trust land dates back to the late 19th century when an avenue of horse chestnuts was grown on Blackbird's Moor to commemorate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee in 1897. So it is wonderful to be able to continue with this historic royal tradition. The Green Canopy is a unique tree planting initiative created to mark the Platinum Jubilee year of the current Queen. People and groups from across the UK are invited to plant a tree for the Jubilee. Martin Horstead, president of Hemel Rotary, said, We are delighted to be working with the Boxmore Trust on this great initiative. The trees will be a lasting legacy of this special year for all to see. It is just one of the many projects that the Hemel Hempstead Club is backing, both in the local community and internationally. However, to continue its vital work, it is in need of more members. If you are interested in finding out what's involved, call Tony Amys on 254479. Find out more about the Queen's Green Canopy project at queensgreencanopy.org. An escalation in sanctions against Russia is set to deepen the current cost of living crisis faced by people who are struggling to make ends meet across the UK. Russia and Ukraine supply a quarter of the world's wheat and half of the world's sunflower products, such as seeds and oil, plus around 19% of world corn supplies. 
Movement of these crops is set to be adversely impacted by war, with a knock-on effect to supplies and prices. Many household food essentials, including such staples as bread, meat and dairy products, are already seeing price hikes, but these are set to rocket further. Analysts say the situation will get much worse as wheat and grain supplies from Eastern Europe dwindle. British farmers are hit also by a fertiliser crisis intensified by a block on fertiliser chemicals exported by Russia that is causing prices to double. Then there's the climbing gas prices that will also affect food prices through fertiliser and transport costs. A British staple, good old fish and chips, is also feeling the squeeze with cod supplies up by 75% in price over just four months. Rises in packaging and energy costs too will pass on to the consumer. As a major oil and gas producer, Russia supplies 40% of Europe's gas. As oil prices rocket, this will hit motorists at the petrol pumps keenly. The RAC has warned of the likelihood of petrol prices reaching £1.70 a litre due to restricted supplies. Here in the UK, householders already face record increases in energy bills in April as the near £700 rise in energy price cap comes into effect and this could be pushed up further again in October, experts have warned. The UK now takes about 3% of its gas supplies from Russia with 75% of its gas imports from Norway. But wholesale gas prices are determined by the international market with Europe heavily reliant on Russia. The cost of heating homes will zoom up by 54% for 22 million households then, adding £693 to annual bills for an average UK household. To shield households in the long term, analysts say the government could feel pressured to take actions such as insulating more homes, speeding the switchover to electric heat pumps and moving forward with net zero policy to remove our national reliance on gas. Officers from the Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue Service have been reminded that they must keep to speed limits when not responding to 999 calls, following a complaint made to the County Council. The, the advice given to emergency response drivers was revealed in a report detailing the complaints and compliments made to Hertfordshire County Council during 2020 to 21. That report highlights 35 compliments that were received in relation to the county's fire and rescue service and the council's other community protection services during the 12-month period. And it records nine complaints against the fire service, which included the conduct and or standard of driving of a fire service vehicle as well as concern over the slow response to an incident. According to the report, presented to a meeting of the County Council's Resources and Performance Cabinet Panel on February the 11th, emergency responses drivers have been reminded that must adhere to speed limits. And, says the report, 
training for emergency response drivers and officers in charge is to include awareness regarding the impact of the use of the fire engine's bull horn, the effect it might have on other road users. Following the meeting, a spokesperson for the Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue Service stressed that their drivers are only allowed to exceed the legal speed limit when responding to an emergency call and if it is safe to do so. And he said, officers in charge are trained to be able to ensure a fire engine is being driven safely. While it is important that we can get to emergencies quickly, we have a responsibility to other road users, which we take very seriously, he said. Our emergency response drivers undergo intensive training before they are allowed to respond to emergency calls. A Tring woman is continuing her campaign to encourage people to discuss their end-of-life preferences after her own traumatic experiences. Mireille Hayden, who founded Gentle Dusk, was in a twist of cruel irony, unable to persuade her father to talk about his own preferences. She was forced to watch her father in pain and physically restrained for his own safety as he approached death. As, like 93% of the population, he made no record of his wishes and preferences for the care he would like at the end of his life, and his family were left to assume what he would have wanted. For Murray, who runs a not-for-profit organisation discussing similar issues, witnessing her 78-year-old father's obvious distress was almost unbearable. My dad had had a series of strokes before the first lockdown, so severe that he ended up with progressive dementia, said health psychologist Mireille. In November 2021, I got a call to say he was very unwell and about to die. By the time I got to him, he lived in central France, he was being treated medically to prolong his life even though he was obviously in his final days. He was restrained to the bed because he was so agitated. The scene was not for the faint-hearted. It was desperately sad and not what he would have wanted. Nobody wants to die like that. It was not humane. It was not dignified. Eventually, Murray managed to secure a palliative care bed for her father in the same hospital. She said there he was treated more holistically, given better pain relief and medication for his agitation, and had had his restraints removed. He died na a natural, peaceful death three days later. Gentle Dusk works with individuals, the NHS and private and voluntary sectors across the UK. Mireille discussed how despite spending 20 years working on end-of-life care and palliative care services, she had been unable to break through in her chats with her dad. She added, I did try having that conversation with my dad, but like many people, he refused even to discuss the matter. He would not talk about anything emotional at all. Such conversations are difficult, but if you make end-of-life plans and share them with your family the better chance you have of dying in a place of your choice and with better end-of-life care. A soft death and a loving death are the best gifts you can give to your loved ones. What I would describe as a profound act of love, the motivation to form Gentle Dusk in 2011 was the death of Mireille's mother, 
who suffered a stroke when she was 67 and was bedridden and fed through a tube for two years. Mireille said, In my own case, the death of my mum broke us up as a family, which was desperately sad. We disagreed about a lot of her care and her place of care and how to treat her. We were in a lot of pain, so there was a lot of anger against each other. Our memories are tainted with those moments when it could have been so different. Gentle Dusk offers a range of training courses for health and social care professionals and for the public to gain skills and confidence initiating difficult conversations. It also regularly hosts events, including death cafes, providing individuals the opportunity to talk openly about dying and death. More information on the organisation is available on the charity's website. Concerns have been raised about the level of government funding allocated to Hertfordshire pupils who have special educational needs and disabilities. And with special schools reaching capacity, leading county councillor Theresa Heritage has warned there is a perfect storm brewing. Despite some additional funding for next year, 22-23, Hertfordshire is said to receive the fourth lowest amount of special needs funding per head of all the 150 local authorities in England. And now Councillor Heritage, who is Executive Member for Children, Young People and Families, has written to Secretary of State Nadim Zahawi to highlight a funding system that unfairly penalises Hertfordshire. In the letter, Councillor Heritage points to the significant increase in demand for support for children with special educational needs and disabilities in the county. There are, she says, 9,264 children and young people aged 0 to 25 who have education, health and care plans in Hertfordshire. A memorial garden to remember the lives of those lost to the COVID-19 pandemic is set to be opened officially this July. The garden in Gaybridge Park, Hemel Hempstead, will feature a red-leaf copper beech tree at its heart, which was planted in October after fundraising efforts from resident Margaret Sharp and more than 24,000 bulbs have been planted by the Coram Borough Council, including crocuses and tulips, which will flower in the spring. Work to install a path and terrace around the tree will take place over the next few months. An official opening event and tree blessing ceremony will take place on Saturday 16th of July. Margaret, from the Decorum Carer Support Hub, raised money from residents and local groups and worked with Sir Mike Penning MP to raise funding, funds from local businesses. She said, Early in the pandemic, we lost one of our carers and we were all devastated. Over the coming months, we saw more and more people affected by the virus and the heartbreak it has caused to so many. It's been a terrible time for our community and I wanted to shine a light on the people who needed support and thought a tree would be a lovely place for people to go and reflect. So Mike said, COVID-19 has affected so many people in our community and the garden will be a special part of Gaybridge Park for people 
to pause for reflection and remember loved ones for many years and decades to come. Now to the letters page with a letter from Philip Parry, Southwest Hearts Labour Party, Berkhamsted. I sent a letter to the Gazette earlier this month, which you published, complaining that I'd received no reply to my two emails to Gagan Mahindra, MP, seeking his views on Boris Johnson's Partygate shenanigans. In fairness to Mr Mahindra, he has since replied, although I'm still unsure what his views on the Prime Minister's behaviour are because, quote, due to the ongoing police investigation, I will not be commenting further, unquote. Surely he already knows enough to be able to take a robust view about the disgraceful behaviour in Downing Street and share it with his constituents. Without exception, the people I speak to in Hemel and Berkhamsted take a highly critical view of what Mr Johnson and friends got up to during lockdown when we all sacrificed so much. It's a pity local MPs don't spend more time finding out what their constituents actually think about these issues and act accordingly, rather than blindly following party orders. That's why we elect them, to represent us in Parliament. Another letter from Philip Aylett, Coordinator, New Hospital Campaign. Dr van der Watt's letter about local hospital redevelopment, 23rd of February, is puzzling in the extreme. Of course no one is campaigning for the unheard of disconnected A&E unit he talks about, and Dr van der Watt knows it perfectly well. The reality is that West Hearts could have a hospital model, similar to the one the Trust is proposing on several sites, but with the full services of emergency and specialist hospital on a new clear site in a central location, instead of on the totally unsuitable, increasingly crowded Vicarage Road site in Watford. The Trust have many serious questions to answer about their plans for redevelopment of Watford. Will Dr van der Watt support a cut in bed numbers for West Hearts? Would he be happy to see the current miserable Watford General Buildings merely patched up? Can he guarantee patient safety at Watford General while a massive five-year construction project goes forward on and around the hospital site? A new clear site would create a far more satisfactory hospital environment for the decades ahead. It would be quicker to build and could cost less. How could that not be safe, as Dr van der Watts alleges? In fact, the Trust promised to assess that option fairly at a recorded stakeholder meeting on the 10th of August 2020, but they never did it. Why? Because they knew very well what the answer would be. A new clear site would come out on top. As a health service journal podcast noted recently, the Trust do not have local buy-in for their Watford general scheme. It is high time they recognised that and acted accordingly. Now back to the news. Many residents will know what it's like to quicken their pace or hold their keys a little tighter as they make their way through dark streets. And now street lighting, or lack of it, has officially emerged as one of the county's most common safety fears in a Hertfordshire-wide survey. The survey, commissioned by Police and Crime Commissioner David Lloyd, asked residents for their greatest safety concerns. And dark streets, alongside cybercrime, fraud and domestic burglary, has emerged as one of the most common concerns. 
Neither the Commissioner nor the Hertfordshire Constabulary has direct control over street lighting, which is controlled by Hertfordshire County Council. But given the results of the survey, Mr Lord Lloyd has committed to do something about it by working with others. Across Hertfordshire, the County Council operates a system of part-night lighting with lights turned off at 1am and back on at 5am. However, there is now provision for lights to remain on until 2am where there is local justification following a request from a local councillor. Mr Lloyd said people may not realise that without the support of their local councillors, lights could stay on longer. But we do need to get to the bottom of, does that mean they want streetlights switched on all the time? And I want to redouble those efforts around reminding people that they are, if they are in a place which is felt to be unsafe, then their local county councillor can get the streetlights switched back on if unsafe in a specific area. Now we come to the information slot, obituaries, what's on and more news. If you regularly create more garden waste than you can fit in your green bin, our additional garden waste subscription service is just what you need. You can now purchase a 2022 subscription on our website for this year's additional garden waste service. This service gives you the opportunity to buy additional 240 litre green lidded bins for £25 each and have them collected on your normal garden waste collection day for a seasonal subscription fee of £60. Garden waste collections will start again from the fortnight beginning 28th of February and continue through to the end of November or beginning of December. You can find out when your next green-lidded bin collection is using our online postcode checking tool, decorum.gov.uk forward slash mybins. From here, you can also download your waste collection calendar if you have not already done so. The regular free-of-charge garden waste service currently provided to households will remain un unchanged. This additional service is simply an optional extra if required. Green-loaded bins are for organic garden waste only, such as grass or hedge cuttings, leaves, twigs or small branches, flowers, including cut flowers that are kept inside the house, pruning and weeds, small animal bedding made from straw, hay or wood chips, but not shredded paper. Please note, all cardboard should be recycled in your blue-lidded bin and all food waste should go into your food waste caddies. No plastic, cardboard, food waste, pet feces or other waste should ever go in your green-lidded bin. For more information, to, subs to subscribe to the 2022 Additional Garden Waste Subscription Service or to purchase additional bins, please visit decorum.gov.uk forward slash extra green bin. Make a splash for cash by signing up to Rennie Grove's Open Water Swim Event. The event is set to take place at Merchant Taylor's Lake and this year there will also be a family fun open water swim festival. From 10am until 12pm on May the 28th, swimmers can choose from laps of the lake totalling 100 metres, 500 metres or 750 metres in distance or simply get sponsored for daring to dive in. 
in the charity's new Get In and Splash Challenge. Amy Chambers, head of fundraising development for Tring-based Rennie Grove, said we want all elements of our swim series to be as accessible as possible. So if swimming's really not your thing, you can still steal yourself to make a splash and get sponsored for braving the chilly waters. We're suggesting just £30 sponsorship for our Get In and Splash Challenge, enough to fund an hour of physiotherapy to help patients live independently for as long as possible. For swimmers taking on the distance challenges, the charity has set a suggested sponsorship level of £150, which could fund five hours of specialist care from a hospice at home nurse and will earn you a special open water swim towel. Raise over £250 and you'll get a special event hoodie. The Open Water Swim Festival takes place on Saturday, July 16th from 10am till 3pm and offers long distances ranging from 3k to 5k to 10k plus the ultimate swim as far as you can in four hours challenge. On dry land there'll be a food truck, tombola and more. Entry fees cover the cost of putting on the event with all sponsorship raised going directly towards patient care. Entry is discounted if you sign up to both events in the swim series. Hertfordshire County Council Trading Standards is warning of fraudulent cold calls being made to residents about loft insulation. This is another variation on a fraud that we have warned about previously. This time fraudsters may tell you that old style loft insulation is causing issues with damp. They try to frighten you by telling you that your rafters and roof are in danger of collapse unless you deal with the issue as soon as possible. They then arrange an appointment to carry out a no-obligation survey to check if there is a damp problem at your property. Unsurprisingly, once at your home, they tell you there is a problem and then sell you new insulation and a dehumidifier for your loft for a great deal of money. None of the claims are true. What is true, however, is that customer lists have fallen into the hands of scammers who are making these targeted sales calls. This and any other cold calls about loft insulation, solar panels, new boilers and cavity wall insulation is a scam. Tell them you are not interested. Please don't allow them to bully you into making an appointment and don't allow the trader to enter your home. If you have had this work done and need advice, please contact Hertfordshire County Council Trading Standards via Citizens Advice on 0808 223 1133. They have a small stock of call blocking devices that they can lend to victims of landline telephone frauds. Please contact them to discuss if appropriate. To report a fraud to the police, please contact Action Fraud on 0300 123 2040 We'll be sharing some standout achievements on our social channels and RNIB Connect Radio.
Listen to RNIB Connect Radio during the Games for news about the 2022 Winter Paralympics via Freeview 730 and online. You can also find RNIB Connect Radio through smart devices. For example, say, Alexa, listen to RNIB Connect Radio. Follow RNIB Connect Radio on Twitter for updates on the latest RNIB Connect Radio shows and podcasts. Athletes will compete in 78 different events across six sports in Beijing, which becomes the first city to have hosted both the summer and winter editions of the Paralympic Games. The sports are divided between two disciplines, snow sports, alpine skiing, cross-country skiing, biathlon and snowboarding, and ice sports, para-ice hockey and wheelchair curling. The lower section of the 2022 Paralympic torch, named Flying, is engraved with Beijing 2022 Paralympic Winter Games in Braille. Its final design was selected from 182 entries in a global competition. Find out more about the background to the 2022 Winter Paralympics on the Olympics website. Where to watch the 2022 Winter Paralympics? Channel 4 will host over 80 hours of Paralympic action on air as well as extra coverage on its YouTube channel starting with the opening ceremony at 11.30am on Friday 4th of March 2022. Audio described and signed versions of the highlight show today in Beijing will be available on More 4 in the early hours or you can watch at a time to suit you on All 4. To follow the Games online, visit the official website of the 2022 Winter Paralympics, where the International Paralympic Committee will provide coverage of the Games. RNIB Connect Radio interviewed Millie Knight, who, along with her guide skier Brett Wilde, is representing Great Britain in the Women's Visually Impaired Alpine Skiing event at the Games. Millie spoke to RNIB Connect Radio's Toby Davey about how she first got into skiing and explained how she and Brett work when they are competing and hurtling down the slopes at breakneck speeds. Listen to the interview on RNIB's website. Everyone at RNIB wishes Millie, Brett and the rest of the Paralympics GB team all the best for the Winter Paralympic Games in Beijing. Obituaries recorded in this week's announcements page include Sylvia Mabel Cooper, age 88, Terry Hazeman of Berkhamsted, aged 87, and George Robb, formerly of Barrow-in-Furness, Cumbria, aged 98. May they all rest in peace. Now to what's on. The Decorum Borough Council is currently running a public consultation to find out your views on their proposals for a new leisure centre in Berkhamsted, which will run until midnight until Wednesday the 30th of March. 
The next consultation drop-in session is on Saturday the 5th of March from 9am to 2pm at Berkhamsted Leisure Centre, Douglas Gardens, Berkhamsted. Tring Together Spring Fair, 23rd April to 8th May 2022 Enjoy two weeks packed with free activities from yoga, aerobics, to Nordic walking, art exhibitions, local festivals and markets, to arts and crafts, live concerts and business networking, including the Friends of Tring Church Heritage Family Fun Day on the 7th of May, Ridgeway Choral Concert, 7th of May, and Tring Spring Clean, date to be announced. Saturday the 4th of March, Little Gadsden Local Produce Market, Village Hall, Church Road, Little Gadsden, 9 till 12.30pm, facebook.com forward slash Little Gadsden Local Produce Market. Saturday the 5th of March, Sakoni Quartet, Berkhamsted Civic Centre, 7.30pm, berkhamsteadmusic.co.uk. Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th of March, Pop-Up Art Weekend, Chiltern MS Centre, Oakwood Close, Wendover. Chiltern, chilternsmscentre.org. Sunday the 6th of March, Hemel Old Town Market, St Mary's Square in Hemel, 11 till 3pm, facebook.com forward slash Hemel Old Town Market. Music. 80s Mania. Grove Theatre, Dunstable, March 4th. Some 28 chart-topping artists from the 80s are recreated to look and sound as they did back in the day. With a full live band, dancers, lasers and light design combined with huge video projection. Together with more than 150 costumes. Kim Wilde, Duran Duran, Adamant, Boy George, Wham, Erasure, Soft Cell, The Human League, Dead or Alive, Nana, Madonna, Gary Newman and Tony Hadley are among the stars being celebrated with audience members encouraged to dress in 80s style. Visit grovetheatre.co.uk to book. At Watford Palace Theatre on March the 10th to the April the 2nd, it's Abigail's Party. This new production by Pravesh Kumar with Goldie Note as Beverly casts the attitudes to class and social standing of Mike Lee's classic in a whole new light. It's set in 1970s suburbia and its heady mix of free-flowing drinks, classic disco and cheese and pineapple sticks. Aspirational Beverly and her estate agent husband Lawrence are hosting a soiree for their newlywed neighbours. As the evening goes on, marital tensions rise and tempers flare. Visit watfordpalacetheatre.co.uk to book or for more information. Now opera. Genufa, the David Evans Court Theatre Pendley, Tring, 4th and 5th of March. 
Leos Janicek's Yenufa is a raw, powerful soap opera of a story. Set in a rural Czech village, it tells the story of a woman's efforts to protect her stepdaughter, who has born a child out of wedlock. Janicek's rich music propels the plot forward to its dramatic conclusion. Aylesbury Opera has assembled a talented cast to perform an opera known for its watchability. The opera will be sung in English. Visit courttheatre.co.uk to book tickets or for further information. Saturday the 23rd of April, the launch day of the Tring Together Spring Fair, 10am till 2pm in Church Square. There'll be a pop-up zoo, live music, community and charity stalls. Budget-conscious fashionistas are being given the chance to revamp their wardrobe at three sustainable clothes swaps in Hemel Hempstead. The Coram Borough Council is hosting the swaps on March the 25th and 26th, giving people the chance to exchange their unwanted items for something different. All you need to do is bring along good quality items that you no longer wear and swap them for something new to you. And it's good for the environment as well as your pocket, as the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of global carbon emissions. This means the clothes that we buy are contributing to climate change more than air and sea travel combined. Textile production is also the world's second largest industrial polluter after oil. A shocking £140 million worth of clothes go in the bin every year in the UK, around 350,000 tonnes. And on average, almost a third of the clothes in most people's wardrobes haven't been worn for more than a year. The clothes swaps will take place at the Forum Marlowe's at Friday, March the 25th, drop off 11.30am to 12.30am, swap from 1pm to 2pm, Friday, March the 25th, drop off from 5.30pm to 6.30pm, swap from 7pm to 8pm, Saturday, March the 26th, drop off from 10am to 11am, swap from 12pm to 2pm, a maximum of 10 items per person in adult sizes will be accepted. Any items remaining by the end of the day will be donated to a charity shop. This event is for swapping good quality clothing only. For more information about recycling clothes, visit the Council's website. Now to more news. An intrepid grandmother from Pottenend is to go on a skydive in memory of her husband, who was one of the earliest victims of the COVID-19 pandemic. Daring Heather Donovan is an active 81-year-old who still enjoys playing golf and walking her dog. But when she tripped and fell while out shopping a few weeks ago and came home with a black eye, daughter Millie Burt feared that, for the first time, she was beginning to look infirm. I was worried that she might be losing her confidence, said Millie, who lives in Berkhamstead. But then about a week later, she announced she was going to do this skydive. I nearly fell over as well. 
tandem dive in which Heather will be strapped to an experienced instructor before leaping out of a plane from 15,000 feet will take place at Chatteris Airfield on Saturday, March the 26th. It's a poignant date because it's almost two years since her husband Patrick died in 2020 at the age of 81 after contracting COVID while they were on a skiing holiday together in Italy. Millie explained, because there was an outbreak close to their resort in Italy, my brother Carl and I questioned whether our parents should go, but they were determined, dismissing the possible dangers posed by this new disease. They returned home on March the 7th, both feeling unwell. Dad deteriorated rapidly and was taken into hospital. On March the 25th, the hospital phoned to say he'd passed away. The trauma was acutely felt because at the time the pandemic was in its early stages and few protocols were in place about what to do or how to behave. Millie went on, Mum was able to see him for five minutes and came back from the hospital with just his wedding ring and a few personal belongings that she was advised to bag up and dispose of. I was staying with Mum and we had to isolate. I wasn't even able to see or hug my two sons who were grieving for their beloved grandfather or my husband. Arranging a funeral was very stressful because of all the restrictions in place. Only 10 people were allowed to attend and there was no wake. That will all be put right on the day of the skydive because the celebration of Patrick's life will also be held to be attended by the whole whole family, including grandsons George Burt, Jamie Donovan and Alfie Burt. The family has also written a message on the National Covid Memorial Wall in London. This is not the first time Heather has tried something so daring. In her 40s, she joined the Air Training Corps and was given an aerobatic experience in a Tiger Moth aircraft, even though she was terrified of flying. She is brilliant, said proud Millie, who works at Ashland School, an inspirational, young-at-heart, amazing mum. The plunge has a secondary good cause too, raising money for the Hospice of St Francis in Berkhamstead, for whom Heather has worked as a volunteer for more than 10 years. Heather has set up a Just Giving fundraising page and has already generated more than £2,600. You can donate at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Heather hyphen Donovan 2. Lib Dem councillors have called for the county council to offer greater support to struggling families with the cost of school uniform. At the budget setting meeting of the county council last Tuesday, February 22nd, Liberal Democrats proposed that £350,000 be made available as a school uniform subsidy for low-income families. During the debate, Liberal Democrat councillor Lawrence Brass said that in financial terms, this was small, but would make a big difference to families affected by it. And he pointed to reports of families cutting back on food and heating to cover the cost of school uniforms. Although he acknowledged that some schools kept spare items of uniform, as well as running schemes to sell on or swap used items, 
He said there were families who still wanted or needed to fund new items. And he pointed to some councils that offered grants to cover the cost of school uniform. But he said that Hertfordshire was not one of them. I urge colleagues, therefore, to think today about the poorer families that need help in this important subject, he said. Let's not be found wanting at this critical time. Executive members for education, libraries and lifelong learning, Councillor Terry, uh, Terry Duris, acknowledged a passionate plea had been made about school uniforms. And he referred to statutory garden guidance that had been issued by Secretary of State Nadhim Zahawi in November 2021. According to that, cost of school uniform guidance, schools in England should ensure school uniforms costs are reasonable and that parents get the best value for money. It also suggests schools will have to make sure second-hand uniforms are available the amendment was not backed. This week in history. March the 1st, 1978, Charlie Chaplin's coffin was stolen from a Swiss cemetery three months after burial. It was found 10 miles away on May the 17th. On this day last year, scientists who claimed Neanderthals had the ability to perceive and produce speech like us said they may finally have solved a mystery of human evolution. March the 2nd, 14, 1949, the first round-the-world non-stop flight was completed by Captain James Gallagher and his 13-man USAF crew. It took 94 hours, during which the plane, Lucky Lady 2, was refuelled four times in flight. March the 3rd, 1931, the US Congress adopted the Star-Spangled Banner written by Francis Scott Key as the national anthem. On this day last year, venison that would once have graced the menus of the UK's finest restaurants was donated to charities to help families living in poverty. March the 4th, 1924, Happy Birthday to You was published by Clayton F. Summy. March the 5th, 1936, the Spitfire fighter plane made its maiden flight. On this day last year, a pair of astronauts ventured outside the International Space Station to prepare it for new solar panels. March the 6th, 1944, US planes from bases in Britain began daylight bombing raids on Berlin. On this day last year, the Dalai Lama received his first shot of the COVID vaccine at a hospital in India. Volunteer litter pickers are needed in decorum to take part in this year's Great British Spring Clean campaign. The mass campaign calls on families, neighbours, friends and colleagues to join forces to collect bags of litter from nearby streets and beauty spots. Last year, 1,030 local volunteers collected 314 bags of rubbish and 215 bags of items for recycling in and around decorum. Now, Decorum Borough Council is promising to support residents who join the 2022 campaign, which runs from Friday, March 25th to Sunday, April 10th. 
A spokesperson said, Litter remains a huge problem across the country, causing harm to the environment and wildlife. Councils in England spend almost £700 million on street cleaning services every year. And over the past two years, COVID-related litter, such as face masks and gloves, have added an additional risk to both our public spaces and green spaces. To help keep decorum litter free, we are supporting the Great British Spring Clean, run by the Keep Britain Tidy charity. This year, the message is simple. Join the hashtag Big Bag Challenge and pledge to pick up as much litter as you can during the campaign. Whether it's a casual tidy or a thorough clean-up, any amount you choose to pick will help. To support your litter pick, the council says it will loan out bags and equipment and arrange to have your filled bags collected. Email cleansafegreen at decorum.gov.uk to set up your litter pick and then register it on the Great British Spring Clean website. If residents would like to help keep their streets clean, safe and green all year round, they can sign up to become a street champion by visiting decorum.gov.uk forward slash street champions. A fun day is being held this week to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the largest independently owned gym in Tring. Owners Adam and Catherine Bell are flinging open the doors of On The Limit on Western Road to mark the popular gym's success. We want to welcome as many people as possible to say a big thank you, said Adam, a personal trainer. Some of our members have been here since we opened in 2012. We are proud of the fact that not only have we been here 10 years, but also we've managed to get through the last two years of the COVID pandemic. Times got tough when the pandemic hit, and Adam admits the gym had to take advantage of the furlough scheme, government grants and bounce-back loans to help the business survive. But the gym adapted well, despite being forced to close for several months. It transferred many of its classes from the studio or gym floor to Zoom, completely seamlessly, says Adam, thanks to wife Catherine working a miracle. And it loaned out much of its equipment, including rowing machines, spin bikes and dumbbells for members to use at home. We loaned out so much that it looked like the place had been ransacked, joked Adam. But we did everything we could to keep the business going and to help members maintain their daily routines for their physical and mental well-being. This will be the time to look back on 10 years of a project that's proved well worthwhile. The gym will be decorated with balloons and celebrate the birthday, while a series of fitness challenges will be held for members, such as the number of press-ups inside a minute, to win small prizes. Merchandise will also be given away. Not without a lot of stress and worry have we got through the last two years, says Adam, but we managed to ride the wave and now we are going strong. Long may it continue. We're coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 6.39am and 5.49pm. Our amenities directory will be read after the final music. When you have finished with this week's recording, please remove your memory stick from the player and return to us promptly in the pouch provided. Remember to swing the metal protective guard over 
and push it well into the pouch. Turn the address label over and place it back into the front pocket. Please seal and clip the pouch and post back to us in any Royal Mail posting box. Thank you for listening. So until next week, it's goodbye from your readers, from Technician Mike and Editor Ailing. Goodbye. <laughs>